God's greetings all within this house. I'm friend to all, St. Nicholas. Have no fear, just look at me. No wild stranger here you see. My coming marks the year's near end. This forest man my basket tends. Deeds good and bad we must review. With ringing bells comes Krampus too. What brings him joy? brings terror to you. Ah. Page 678. Joseph Stroff. Let's see, my son, what you have done. Ah, yes. I see here that you do good. You do your chores and schoolwork. Yes, just like Good boys should. Hmm. But what is this? No, this can't be. Could my eyes be deceiving me? Apples? From your neighbor's bin. For those he sells to feed his kin. <sighs> I stare at you in my heated gaze in hatred for your thieving ways. Thou shall not steal. Do you not remember the one commandment? How do you think your mother would feel if she knew that she gave birth to a bandit? Oh, how I hate to do this so, but to hell with Krampus you shall go. And out of his pocket, he takes a black stone and reaches his hand out to young Joseph. Joseph's eyes fill with tears as he realizes what this means. Oh, how good it feels to take the bad ones. You'll make a good meal for all of us and me. In my sack, you must go. No. No, please, Mommy, don't let him take me. Daddy, please. Shut up, boy. You had your chance. child down. Hundreds more to go. We'll eat good this year. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. My name is Jeremy. I'm your host, and I'd like to welcome you to our Christmas special, the first one that we've ever done. We're doing something a little different today. We can't really argue about it. This is more of a story. And we're going to give you the deep background on one of the alpine regions of Europe's most feared pagan spirits, that is Krampus. But before we jump into that, the first thing I want to do is go ahead and point out that the beginning of the intro that you just heard was a poem by one Joseph P. Lycock. He did the part all the way up until St. Nicholas first introduces Krampus, 
then from there, I kind of filled in the gaps. But uh, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and introduce you to the co-host for today. And we have Jeff. You ready to jump into some pagan lore, my friend? I am quite ready, my friend. Stoked. And the man who helped me out the other day because I was unsure of some stuff. So I used his expertise. Jacob. Yes, it's, it's I, Jacob, also known as the Jacob. Yeah, I, I love Krampus, actually, for quite some time before I was a Christian. I uh, celebrated Krampus Day <laughs> instead of Christmas. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty stoked to get into this. It should be fun. So I was at work and someone comes out to a longtime listener of the show. Well, what are we going to hear you know, next week for Christmas? Are you guys doing a special? And I said, yeah. So we're doing Krampus. Like, what? Krampus. You don't think Krampus exists, do you? No. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. We know he exists. <laughs> it's Bigfoot. Duh. Yeah. Look, we, we already got it out of the way. Bigfoot. Cramp Squatch. <laughs> Cramp Squatch. This is pagan lore. You know, this is mythology, lore, stories, and the beliefs of young children. And I mean, this is a this goes a little far, you know, uh, scaring the shit out of children. Is it a good way to control them? That is definitely true. Maybe not, you know, the, <laughs> the best way of doing it, because I, I personally read some stories of kids pissing themselves and that's nah, all good fun. Did you know that there is actually a legitimate fear of Krampus? There's a medical term for it. Crampophobia. Close. Go ahead. Try one more. Crampinphobia. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh. Well, I mean, I figure it'd be different than, you know, someone in the United States, some kid in the United States hearing about Krampus or seeing the Krampus movie, which me and Whitney watched last night just to prepare for this. Still a good movie. And then someone being in like an Eastern European country where they celebrate Krampus not or knocked, however you pronounce that, like every year. So... I don't know, maybe a five-year-old here versus a five-year-old there might have different, like, fears as far as, like, Krampus goes. <laughs> you know, the parents are letting them get hit with birch branches and, like, thrown into sacks and stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is because you refuse to eat all your greens, so you're going to go to hell with Krampus tonight, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's only mild child abuse. It'll get you to eat your broccoli. Yeah, right? It's mild. So the fear of Krampus is known as Krampus angst or Krampus angst. It is a oh. medical term for the fear of Krampus. I'm sure it's not something that's used a lot here in the States, though, in the Alpine countries of Southern Europe. This is something that's real. So before we jump into my deep dive, do either of you guys have any little thing that you guys want to get out about Krampus before we do this? Uh, I mean, I got like some uh, some bullet points about Krampus, but I'm pretty sure knowing you, you'll probably hit all of them in your deep dive. So maybe I'll just hold on to them in case you miss something and then, then I'll uh, correct you. Cool. Fill us in at the end. Yeah, I uh, I think the one crazy thing I, I had discovered about Krampus, Jeremy was like, ah, oh, yes, yes. And I'm just like, oh, OK, well, never mind then. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't think that we're going to pull any, like, surprises on you. I mean, you're sitting here asking me about, like, biblical characters and stuff and their, you know, their roles and everything and how do they line up in history. And I was like, oh, geez, this guy's a, 
this guy's going deep (laughs) as i do and you know this is this is one of those things you know i was talking to my buddy at work and they're like don't you like things that could possibly exist and it's like yes i do i I like cryptids that's what they're called yeah also larks i also like (laughs) myth and lore you know i am into mythologies i'm into native lore and pagan lore Obviously, I, I haven't really jumped into pagan lore before until we were doing the ritual review. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, this stuff would be really, really cool to jump into, but there's nothing here because, you know, the the creature from the ritual isn't a real god. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's it's not really from lore. It's, it was created just for the movie or the book. But Krampus, on the other hand, was something. And there is a lot here. I used a book called the krampus and the old dark christmas roots and rebirth of the folkloric devil by al reidenauer this book was really good and I, you know i use various websites and everything everything's going to be in our sources in the description of the episode but this book was the exact book i needed it jumped into everything you could possibly think of when it came to krampus or just you know, pagan lore from that area of the world in general. There was a lot of stuff, you know, where you're kind of reading it and you're like, I don't know, why is this in here? It's all filler. And then at the end of the chapter, he turns it into how all that stuff combines into Krampus. So I did my best to kind of, you know, summarize that for you guys today, um, as well as some other websites. But if you guys want a deeper dive in some more of those specifics, I highly recommend grabbing that book. It's really, really awesome. And before we jump in, one more thing, if you haven't had a chance yet, please go over to InfiniteRabbitHole.com. Check out our merch shop. We have released our new holiday 2021 Infinite Rabbit Hole t-shirts for both men and women. Check them out. Those things are awesome. Jake did a great job on that logo. So thank you, Jake. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> really, really <laughs> cool. I'll tell you, there is another one that's going to be coming out in February, March timeframe that he has already done. That is super cool. Super cool. So super duper. Speaking of that, I do have one little thing on Krampus before we get started that I just found. What do you got, man? There's a website called KrampusChristmasGifts.com and it's a bunch of gifts with Krampus. And I'm perusing. So after you buy some of our merch, go buy some Krampus merch. Yeah, there you go. Maybe we'll make a Krampus shirt. Ooh. Yeah, maybe. Oh, dude, you know what I wanted to send you, Jeremy? I wanted to send you one of the, from the movie Krampus, the one that came out a couple of years ago. Um, I wanted to send you one of the bells that said... Uh, <laughs> Krampus? Well, it says Krampus, but it says uh, something Von Krampus. Yeah. <sighs> but... It- Unfortunately, all of the movie replica bells, they're all made out of plastic, right? Of they're course, they're yeah. not made out of like <laughs> cast steel <laughs> or whatever, right. you know, from uh from the movie. They don't ring or anything like that. But I really wanted to find one and then like no return address, just send it to you. <laughs> like some old leather like wrapped box and you just open it up and it has a Krampus bell in there. <laughs> See you crap your pants. <laughs> well, I'm fucked. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, guys. You guys ready to jump in? Yep. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. So I did my best to introduce Krampus. The exact time frame of the birth of the Krampus is still argued about by many. 
but historians and folklorists believe that the clues and evidence points towards the earliest depictions of the creature being around the 700s and in the areas of Austria and Bavaria. Of course, back then, they believed the Krampus went by other names, but the deeds and descriptions match the Krampus of more modern tradition. It is well believed that the original adaptions of the Krampus was taken directly from the pagan god Pan. The earliest evidence of worship to Pan is from 400 AD when archaeologists uncovered an ancient altar of Pan in a Byzantine church in Israel. A monster of the Alps and the creation of pagan farmers. The Krampus originally sported the Krampus originally sported short brown fur, sheep or ram like horns, stood upright like a man, and had one cloven foot, and of course the other like a human. In one hand he held a bundle of birch sticks, and in the other a sack or a basket to carry away naughty children. Over the years the physical description has changed a bit. With the integration of Catholics and their many saints, the lore of the mountainous Alps morphed and as did the Krampus. Now, the Krampus is depicted as more of a hybrid between the Krampus of tradition and what many believe to be the Christian devil. In many different Alpine countries of southern Europe, people flocked to the streets to enjoy a celebration on the eve of St. Nicholas's Day, dressed as the more modernly known Krampus. This night, of December 5th is known as Krampusnacht, and the costumes come in many shapes and sizes. Although still traditional in tradition sense, the most common features include long, shaggy black or brown, gray or white mismatched furs from head to toe, large bells and chains tied into the costumes in various places, elaborate natural horns, and a mask hand-carved from local wood. These costumes are passed down through generations of families and clubs and are the new tradition. This adaption of the Krampus is still very old, and again, it is very hard to determine the exact time frame, but it is believed to be many generations old, with some historians claiming to be up to a thousand years old. The Krampus, of course, went through another physical change as of recently. Recently meaning the last 15 years or so. And of course, this happened when Krampus finally became a mainstream character here in America. In the 2015 Universal Studio film, the creature is of course giving a nightmarish modern twist with minions of toys and gingerbread men, and a few supernatural powers with not only the bloodlust for children, but for any that do not believe in him. This of course is not the traditional Krampus. But how did the Krampus get over the pond? Well, that's easy. Oral Written and visual traditions or stories are spread through the world extremely fast nowadays, and there's no explanation really needed there. But what is pretty cool is how the stories and depictions of the Krampus escaped the small pagan mountain towns of Austria. In 1861, Austria established their first ever postal service, and in 1884, the mountain towns were finally connected to other larger towns and cities by way of the railroad company called the Imperial Royal Austrian State Railways. It was the combination of these two that allowed the story of the Krampus to escape the Alps and begin its journey through the world by way of a collection of greeting cards known as the Krampusgarten. The Krampusgarten captured the interest of the rest of Europe, first by using catchy phrases like, greetings from the Krampus, and be good or the Krampus will get you. Of course, this led to the rest of the world wanting to know more. So, that is the introduction 
that I had for the Krampus. What do you guys think so far? Pretty good. I agree. <laughs> do you agree? <laughs> do you agree with historical facts? Sir? <laughs> well, I, I mean, technically, these days we don't have to agree with anything. So, but That's I do true. agree. I do That's agree true. with that. And like you were saying in the beginning, this isn't a discussion we're either going to agree or we're going to disagree. Or, yeah, this isn't a normal episode where we're going to either agree or disagree. This is a discussion about something that is there, right? It's lore, and it's something that, I don't know, I I think that Krampus is so metal. <laughs> <laughs> it's so metal. You know, we're so used to having these topics where we're able to debate. You know, we're able to just be like, no, you're fucking dumb. There's no way. Or, you know, whatever. But there's you can't do that here. You can't. That Everything here is, I mean... People are going to listen to this, and I hope hope that when they're listening to this episode, that they're learning something new about the Krampus that they didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And basically, the real gist of this whole episode is that this area of the world where Christmas, you know, took on its own meaning. The cool fact is is that there was an area of the world where Christmas wasn't necessarily a time for fun and games and cheerful and families being together. This was a very stressful time for a lot of people. This was a time of the year where it's snowing. It's cold. They, they're they locked inside their houses and they go the entire year farming and bringing in their crops. And, you know, if you're not doing enough, your family's going to starve during this time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these pagans used to worship these spirits of the mountains in certain ways and there were these things that they had to do in order to please them and if they didn't they would be penalized for not doing some things and and people really 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 believed in this stuff you know there's still people to this day that the this belief system is still strong with and krampus is not only one of those but not only is the krampus important to these people because a lot of these people have their own spirits that they have to worry about when you're an adult but these are this is like your your beginner spirit you know as a child what do you have to worry about you have to worry about being good all year so that you're not taken away by the krampus and in some ways it seems that the krampus isn't so much a uh, a creature or anything but it's a representation of a occurring event of like like you were saying putting away and and preserving for a time frame otherwise you're going to suffer right it's a it's a character that surrounds not only lore but a actual real-time hardship or way of life for some people yeah kids fear this thing throughout the entire year Sorry, sorry, Timmy. The Krampus came and took all of our food. So it's not because your your dad's drunk. It's because of the Krampus. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to make light of it. But oh well. Either way, what I really took from doing the research on this was how important this stuff was to these people. A lot of us here in America and in other parts of the world, we have Santa Claus now. And the worst that happens to you if you're naughty throughout the year is you get a lump of coal. Yeah, and if you smoke meat like I do, that's not a really that bad of a gig. Like I've been pretty bad this year, so I can get you know some good quality lump charcoal. <laughs> 
you know, in, in, in these, this part of the world and this, this area in this era, this was a real fear for kids. Well, I mean, they do a dang good job too. It's not like other places where they're like, oh, the boogeyman will get you, you know, the thing that we just tell you about, you know, that they have physical representations in some places where it's just like that, that right there. See that thing beating on your neighbor, friend? Yeah, he's going to come drag you away. It's going to bring you to hell, child. That thing over there ripping off its own face? Yeah, <laughs> it's coming for you. I'm going to tell him that you won't put away your, your socks. All right. So the night of December 5th, also known in Germany as the Krampusnacht, would be the night that the Krampus would travel through towns and villages with chains and bells closely following St. Nicholas. This would happen on the eve of St. Nicholas's Day, December 6th, which was celebrated with children receiving gifts from St. Nicholas, if they were good, or coal if they were bad. The placing of the chunk of coal acted as a release of the child from the protection of St. Nicholas and a forfeiture to the Krampus who followed. Upon acceptance of your evil deeds, the Krampus would choose whether you were really bad or if you were salvageable. Of course, this decision was overseen by St. Nicholas himself. If it seemed that a few minor issues are what kept you from being good, the choice would be to whip you with his birch sticks, and you would return to your parents with a stern warning for next year. But if you were really bad, and the Krampus felt that there was no saving you, he would capture you in his bag with all the other bad children from that night. At the end of the night, when all the bad children were gathered, he would hike back up into the mountains with a sack of children to the cave of the Krampus. He would empty his sack, and you would be put to use in any way that any of the Krampus would see fit. And there were hundreds, if not thousands of them. And on the last night of Christmas, on the 5th of January, they would kill you and eat you in a feast for all of the Krampus. And if there were any left over, and all the Krampus were full, the leftover children would be thrown into hell. Now, Krampusnacht was and is still often celebrated with men running through the streets in the form of parade dressed as the Krampus. This act is known as the Krampuslauf. Today, Krampuslauf and many other Krampus celebrations are held all over the world. The first adaptions of the Krampuslauf in the United States are thought to have been in South Carolina and Oregon, but nowadays it would be hard to name a state that didn't offer the festivities somewhere. So. Are we going to a Krampusloff, guys? Um, I'd be down for that. Let's go. No, I think going to a Krampusloff would be really freaking cool. Checking that out. It would be cool. I'm not one for cosplay, but I'll totally dress up as this thing. Come on, man. You don't you don't put on like the furry costume or anything? And not unless it's the You're a chipmunk, aren't you? Yeah, man. <laughs> well, as someone who is one for cosplay, as a matter of fact, I dressed up in a uh, a Frank the Bunny costume from Donnie Darko one time and went to a Comic Con. Why does that not really surprising? not really a, a character that would end up in a like a comic book or anything like that? I don't think, but people Dude, dug there's it. no rules at Comic Con. Yeah, people dug it. You know, yeah. So I mean, got my picture taken with a was it with a Flash Gordon? That was pretty tight. You know, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go to one. What'd you say it was called again? I'm gonna look this up. Krampus Loft. Krampus Loft. L A U F. You gotta say it with the Germanic. Uh, Krampus Loft. That was better. 
Yeah, Jeremy, you're Polish or something, right? You could you could pronounce these. Yeah, that's what that's that's how I'm able to make it sound <laughs> this good. <laughs> someone someone that actually celebrates this is like, man, this guy's butchering it. <laughs> Read a book next time you leapt on. <laughs> They're shills. <laughs> shills. <laughs> American pogs. <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me started. All right, guys, let's jump into the next bit. St. Nicholas is known to have a darker assistant in many places throughout the world. In general term, describing all of them, they are known as dark companions. The Krampus is one of many of these dark companions. Most of Germany has a companion named Nechtgruppent. In the southwestern part of Germany and Pennsylvania Dutch communities, there is the Berchnickel. In France, the adaption of St. Nicholas, known as Pierre Noël, is followed by Pierre Fourard, or Father Whip. Another from German-influenced French stage is Hans Strapp, and is influenced by the historical knight Hans Ventrotha, who was once known as the infamous Black Knight associated with the devil, cannibalism, and even the dark arts. In more southern countries in the area, he is known as Zwat P, translated to Black Peter, who it sometimes is said to be a duo of beings and not just a singular dark companion. A dark companion's general job is to follow their respected nice figure of Christmas time and act as the opposite of the saint. Where the good side of this holiday's coin will reward you with presents and treats, the evil side will hurt you, or worse. Now, fun fact real quick, the Simpsons dog is named Santa's Little Helper. But in Germany, it translates to Necht Rupert, the dark companion for most of Germany. They literally take what's mostly northern Germany, their form of Krampus, which is Necht Rupert. And that is literally what they call Santa's little helper in The Simpsons in Germany. Hmm. Interesting. Isn't that funny? I think that I thought that was funny. Also, fun fact, uh, Black Peter is quite offensive to some people in today's day. Yes. Because of blackface. Yep. It, it is a very, very old tradition, and I'm not trying to make excuses for it, but the skin of Black Peter, whenever that somebody dresses up as Black Peter, is dyed in charcoal, <laughs> and it is blackface. It, it is becoming canceled very, very fast throughout this area. To move on, this is where it gets really good. This is probably the deepest dive I do. A common mistake of many is their belief that there is only one Krampus. But in reality of the lore, the Krampus is not a name of a particular creature. Instead, it is a general term used for a race of creatures or beings, such as the word vampire, which can be used to describe a singular being, but also describes an entire race of creatures known as vampires. Same thing with Krampus. The stories of the gift-giving St. Nicholas began working their way from the more populated Catholic towns and cities to the pagan countrysides. Here, the stories of St. Nicholas met a very different being of pagan lore, the Perchten, or the Perchten. The Perchten are a mixed bunch of malevolent and benevolent devil-like mountain spirits. In these areas, a custom called the Perkinov, or Perchtenov, or perked and run, involved many dressing up as their mountain spirit of choice while parading through town in an extravagant and oftentimes violent way. It was when the Catholic stories of St. Nicholas met the pagan traditions of the Perkstenov head-on that the modern Krampus traditions were born. 
the Krampus, being a race of Pershtun, stands as a hybrid born with the wickedness of the Pershtun and the shadow of the saint, born to be the helper of good with a spirit that still craves and practices evil deeds. As I stated in the world of the Pershtun, there are good spirits and bad ones. The good or beautiful Pershtun are known as a group of Sean Pershtun, and the bad or ugly are collectively known as Shiat Pert. The Pershtun, or Pershtun, still hold their own traditions away from and with the more popular Krampus. The more rural pagan areas still hold Pershtunovs, where participants parade through the streets dressed as their Pershtun of choice. Some even go as Krampus. With the traditional Pershtun and Krampus looking very similar since the Krampus itself is a Pershtun, it can be hard to determine what costumes is depicting a Krampus. Now, the easiest way to determine whether someone is depicting that of Krampus or one of the many Pershtun, it is to look at the horns on top of their heads. If the costume, statue, or painting has two horns, you are looking at a Krampus. Any more than it is a Pershtun. If it has a long red tongue hanging out of its mouth, you are also looking at a Krampus. This is due to the Christian devil influence. Other than that, most of the more generic Pershtun look very similar to the traditional costumes of Krampus. I don't know where the, the devil image came from, because I'm sure it was somewhere in like Christian folklore or whatever that the whole like horn devil thing came in. I want people to know there's no biblical representation for that character whatsoever. Of course, there's Satan, but he's not doesn't look like that. It's very strange. I read in the 12th century sometime was when the uh, Catholic Church started kind of putting the uh, Christmas devil and like the, the chains on. Krampus to like represent to make him look scarier or something. Devil. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really sure why, but and I don't even know if that's completely accurate. But you know, hmm. I don't know this for sure. But because of the influences between the pagans and the Catholics, and the pagans were so big into their mountain spirits, and most of them did look like upright walking sheep or rams. Mm-hmm. Maybe. That was the Catholic's way of being like, no, that's what our devil looks like. Mm. You know, and I, again, I don't know that for a fact. I'm just trying to to put yeah. one and one, you know, two and two together or whatever. But, you know, that is a good question. Maybe we can look into where the uh, the stereotypical or traditional Catholic devil yeah. imagery comes from. It's interesting. It's weird. Hey, dude, I'm so glad that we're doing this right now. I don't, this may be a shock to our viewers, but we don't put record this the same day that we put this out. Um, we're actually <laughs> recording this right now on December 13th, and this will be released, what, on the 24th? Yes. So we're talking about these Krampus events, right? And they're all over the place. I start my leave on the 17th, which is Friday. And all this coming weekend, there's a Krampus festival going on in L.A., what (laughs) which is about an hour and a half from me and whitney is going to be in san francisco with her sister this weekend and they're going to be going to a concert so it's just going to be me so i'm probably going to go down there on saturday and it says saturday december 18th at 3 30 p.m a herd of devils from krampus los angeles will proceed through the hall of yuletide spirits and exhibit exhibitions areas i can't pronounce it 
it says beatings and photo ops included. (laughs) 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 So I might have to roll down there as infinite rabbit hole and, uh, and take some pictures and videos and stuff and get beaten with a stick. (laughs) You should, you definitely should, dude. I'm going to, yeah, do it for for the hole. (laughs) Check this out, man. This, this be fun. (laughs) Oh, now now I'm kind of jealous, dude. There's yeah. I wish I could go. Look up that stuff. I saw ones that were all over the place, but they they said they usually have a Krampus run, but it's been canceled due to the virus and stuff. So hopefully mm. next year they'll have like like the square three city blocks like roped off, and so they can have people running around in costume whipping people and stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. Oh, just so you know, and I'll get to this later. That three thirty start time is tradition. That is the official start time of the Krampuschlaf. Mm, nice. Yeah. I, uh, I touch on that here in a little bit. Looks like I missed the one here. The one in Orlando's done already. Pissed. No. Oh. Mm. Always next year, man. Put it in your calendar now. No, I don't want it now. I'm mad. <laughs> Fly out to L.A. with me. No, I'm <laughs> totally good on that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then quit your crying, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right the perchtons uh frau perchta is actually our next topic ah uh, this one this is the this one. is this is the one yes now to go even further into the rabbit hole oh he said it did you hear it yeah you heard it you said it <laughs> it was like it's like when a movie title says its own <laughs> thing in the movie like a bad pun. the movie says its own title the you know what i'm saying yeah you know Family Guys makes fun of that. Now, to go even further into the rabbit hole of the Krampus, in order to discover the earliest origins of this creature of pagans, we must dive into the lore of Frau Perstein, a witch, leader, and controller of the Perstein, who also doubles as the spirit of spinning, weaving, cleanliness, and the wild hunt, best described by German linguist Jacob Grimm, co-author of the Grimm fairy tales, Parshta would visit homes and inspect cleanliness and completion of weaved yarn on the night of January 5th and morning of the 6th on a night known as the Epiphany, a Christian feast day celebrating the first day of God's incarnate as Jesus. She would travel by flight at night, followed closely by her entourage of souls of the unborn and unbaptized children known as the Henkin. The reason was that on the twelfth night after Christmas, the Christmas season was officially over and the time to set up the large upright loom, a tool for creating cloth out of spun yarn. If things were not up to her standards of cleanliness, or enough yarn wasn't spun, she would destroy your inventory of yarn by defecating on your stock or wiping her ass with it. In one of Jacob Grimm's works, he described her burning the hands of those who had failed But that's not where her wickedness ends. Frau Perschta is commonly depicted as an old female figure with a long nose made of iron, dressed from head to toe in old dirty rags and carrying a cane. With a hand that doesn't carry a cane, she holds on to a long knife under her rags that she wears as a robe. If you really fucked up and did a horrible job at cleaning, the yarn wasn't spun and failed to leave her ceremonious bowl of porridge out for her and her heimkin. She, then, would sneak into your room while you were sleeping and disembowel you and fill your empty abdomen with dirt, straw, and rocks. Frau Perschta 
was known by other names in different areas, such as Berksta and Bertha, and was also very similar to another well-known character that shared many different attributes with Perchta, known as Frau Holda. Frau Holda is also in command of the Heimken. It is said to be a figure close to the practice of spinning yarn and also closely tied to the 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany. Frau Perchta and her lore are very old and influential, even older than those of Krampus and the other Perchten. The stories of Frau Perchta not only gave birth to the Krampus, but also to the Perchten themselves. Many Perchten have physical and other features similar to the queen of the pagan mountain spirits. The typical Perchten and Krampus style derived directly from that of Frau Perchta, with exaggerated features such as long noses, chins, and hair. But not just their physical features. The idea that something had to be done correctly or some sort of sacrifice to please the being was taken directly from her as well. There are many different Perchten that require different things and are believed to reward or punish depending on how well their needs are met. This all comes directly from the need of Frau Perchta and her need for porridge, spun yarn, and a clean house. Another creature of lore that was born from the image of Frau Perchta is the traditional witch. The elongated nose, old appearance, and raggedy clothing was originally depicted in Perchta, and then developed into the main description of a traditional witch. Now to go even further into the rabbit hole, <laughs> let's discuss the origins of Perchta. And in order to understand her origins, we need to know a biblical woman and villain known as Herodias. Beginning in the 11th century, pagans referred to her as the Queen of Witches, mostly in part due to her relationship to Frau Perchta. Herodias was known as the mother of Solomon and wife of King Herod Antipas, son of the man responsible for the massacre of the innocents. In what may be a very early documented act of witchcraft, Herodias' daughter was lustfully dancing for King Herod Antipas, her stepfather. After gaining the control of her stepfather's lust, she requested that he give her the head of John the Baptist. Although reluctant, King Herod had John beheaded in prison and had it brought to his stepdaughter. In turn, she brought it to her mother, Herodias, who was the true architect behind the act. In the Latin mock epic known as Yis and Grimace, a collection of tales and fables thought to be written by the poet Nevaru in 1148, the book tells of the story of Herodias' infatuation with John the Baptist and her attempt to kiss his decapitated head. As she approached with a kiss, the head moved away and hissed at her with such force that she flew up into the air and through the skylight. Jacob Grimm's 1835 book, Dusch Mythology, or Dutch Mythologies, builds on his stating that Herodias now returns every year to the place of her denial, the regions around Austria and southern Germany, to travel through the sky as her now ugly and demented persona known as Pushta. So in review, the biblical character Herodias is connected to Pershta in books written by both Nevardu in 1148 and Jacob Grimm in 1835. 
as a way to attribute her presence and act of seductive witchcraft directly to pagan mythology. In turn, Pershta herself gave birth to many spirits of the pagans known as the Pershtin, which directly resemble Pershta and share purpose with the evil witch queen of cleanliness and yard spinning and ruler of the souls of the unborn and unbaptized children known as the Heinken. From there, the pagan mountain spirits, or Pershtin, met the Catholics and their father of gifts, the patron saint of children, St. Nicholas. A hybrid being with attributes of terror from the Pershtin was born to be the shadow of St. Nicholas and give fear to the children who do not partake in the behaviors and practices outlined by the church and their parents. This being is what we now know as the modern and Catholic-inspired Krampus. That lady sounds like my ex-wife. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, I don't know her, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, if the house wasn't clean and the dishes weren't done, you could expect a decapitated head. That's such a weird, like, the demonic presence of unclean houses. It's just like, it's such, a, <laughs> such a strange thing. To like, hell with you. <laughs> hey, when you come back home from working in the field all day long and your 13th century wife hasn't cleaned the house and then you threaten her with a demon. You're like, it's just, like, it's, it's very strange. But, I mean, okay, you know. Yeah, I, I guess. I thought it was uh, pretty neat how the history tied in. I'm not saying that, you know, I believe all of it. I don't know exactly if this is how it, it all works or if this is exactly how the lineage all lines up. But the book made a very compelling story, connected the pieces, and they, they seem to fit. So, Well, what I don't understand about that is that you have Herodias and her daughter who executed John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. So her seductive dance that she did basically king herod was like oh, i'll give you whatever you want and in that day you know which I, it would be nice if it meant something today but in that day your word w really meant a lot right i give you my word mm -hmm. it was like it was who you were that you were able to be someone that could be trusted that would follow through on what you said you would do and uh, with the guests that he had that were all there in his palace observing the dance and stuff and he says that and then she says i want the head of john the baptist he had to do it, right? Or else he would lose mm -hmm. his his uh, status and stuff, and he wouldn't be respected anymore. Um, or at least he felt like he had to. So he had, you know, John executed. But, I mean, she was obviously a terrible person, and her daughter was an awful person too. You know, why not? The whole lot of them were terrible. But I don't know how that has anything to do with a figure that is angry about unkept houses and yarn that hasn't been spun <laughs> or something like that like where's where's the connection there because one is truly horrible you know because an actual person that's historically verifiable was executed for this other person because they didn't like him um, right. and on the other hand you have unclean houses and it's just like you know it, it's an interesting connection that doesn't make a lot of sense to me but I guess if it has to go somewhere, why not land at the feet of an already terrible person that existed in history? Right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, mm. 
I guess, look at what was important to the time, the era, the era. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what was important? It was important to have yarn spun, especially by the 6th of January, because it, you're cold, man. This right. is the time for sweaters and blankets and socks and and stuff. And the house needs to be clean because, you know, you have these wild um, illnesses just running, you know, rampant through the world. Right. Uh, that, you know, I, I don't know. And don't forget the dishes. I'm, yeah, you, you you know where I'm talk- coming from. It's just like it doesn't it doesn't seem comparable at all. But you know, if it if it has to go somewhere, you know, yeah, sure, why not? But now this <laughs> it was it was very interesting when you approached me on this because I was like, all right, you know, because it's basically Jeff. What had happened was he he hit me up right because I talk about it all the time. I'm a Christian guy, so he hits me up and he says, "Hey, you know, I need to bounce some biblical stuff off of you for my episode. Um, what do you know about?" Herodias and I was just like um nothing and then I was just like oh wait a second that's the the lady that had to do with John the Baptist's death right so we we got on the computer and we kind of bounced off ideas and he was asking me questions and we were kind of breaking down the story and how it all went and I was just like dang you are really doing a deep dive if you're asking me <laughs> about something that happened in like I, I don't know what like 10 BC <laughs> or, or like you know whatever <laughs> like you know 10 ad somewhere around there you know it's like uh, how far back does this go <laughs> you know because i was thinking it, this was just like a you know germanic pagan sort of mythology but it seems that jeremy i mean just dug and dug and dug and i mean that's what jeremy does so hopefully the the listeners are getting something out of this because yeah, I mean that, that blew my mind when you were asking me those questions. Like, how does this have anything to do with this? And until, until you kind of explained it, I was like, geez, man, that's crazy. Glad I can help. <laughs> <laughs> you were in town, man. I know. I'm just yeah. You abandoned us. I abandoned you. Left you left us to die. We'll never forget this. Well, I thank you for being there for me, sir. And answering my questions. But like, like I said, this is one person's take from the book that he wrote. Is this the only story? Probably not. I've listened to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of things about Krampus, but this is the first time that I saw this in anywhere. You have some places that are saying this happened and some places that are saying this happened. So I said, well, I guess it's time to go to Jake because mm. Jake knows exactly where it is in the Bible and mm-hmm. we can read it line by line and make it fit, you know, and we can see what is, you know, as, as close as we can get to the truth in the Bible's sense. Yeah. Basically who was who and how do they relate to each other? You know, that sort exactly. of stuff because yeah, those people ran into the Bible because of, you know, their association with John. Um mm-hmm. Because he was kind of paving the way for Jesus before he showed up. And so it may not be like the best reference to go to if you want to know, like, what was Herodias like in her childhood? You know, that would be more of a, you know, a a, a Roman scholar sort of job at that point um, or a, a, a scribe or something like that. But, yeah, it is interesting that there was there was a lineup there between the the. I might pronounce it wrong, the Perchton. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> more, more sound, but, <laughs> and, uh, and Herodias, 
And it was just like, huh, that's very interesting. It is kind of strange how you could take a historical biblical figure and tie it into the Krampus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't say like Judas or someone. I don't know, man. And, you know, we're going back into some other books, uh, texts from like 1145. And then the one from Jacob Grimm in 18-something, right? I had 1835. Gosh, that's such know. a long time ago. Yeah. And like the, the book by Navarro is 1148. I read something that um, the Krampus could have been derived from the ancient Greek satyr, which is a creature that looks or had like a, a similar uh, appearance as Krampus. Not, the, not quite the same, but, you know, had like the goat horns and the legs and it was an agulet yeah yeah it's 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 very similar like if you look up a an image of the the pagan god pan yeah pan the goat man yeah it's all that same thing like the the you got to look at the uh the region of the world right i mean is the alpine mountains where greece is where the where greek mythology would come from i mean it's not far from it right it's actually relatively close but you have something even closer with folklore and that is the alpine pagans you know that's that's where his lord lives is with the alpine pagans so you have to go in in you know my point of view and and where i went and did my research i followed their stories but yeah i could definitely see how satyr uh could be tied into this too and satyr uh i i want to say either satyr is was theorized to be based off Pan or Pan based off Saturn. So there might even be a connection there too. Yeah. And it's interesting, hmm. like when I see things like that, when like multiple cultures across vast amounts of time, like talk about close to the same beings being alive, like that leads me to think that at least at some point in time, there was something that resembled these things, right? Like the goat man could be out there somewhere. Well, definitely the sheep squatch. Sheep's goat man. I don't know. Apparently, there's a goat man in Pacheco Pass here in California where if you stop halfway through and you honk three times, it'll drag you to hell or something. Oh, you didn't know that? Apparently, I don't know. I I haven't seen it, so I haven't verified it. (laughs) That's facts, dude. I don't know. I haven't really read it on the internet yet. I've just heard about it. And then once I read it on the internet, then I'll know it's true. It's got a similar aspect. It drags you to hell, you know what I mean? And just like Krampus will drag these kids to hell. So maybe, man. True. There's a, uh, I want to say it is in Vermont. It's called the What's It. I believe it's from Buck Mountain, but that's like a local uh, goat man cryptid from in a place in Vermont. All right. You guys ready to continue? I am. Yes. yes. I lost track of where I was. Hold on. Okay. All right. Let's dive into the customs of Krampus. It is custom that many dress up on the 5th of December on the eve of Nicholas Dag, or St. Nicholas Day, the death day of Nicholas of Mira, and prance around causing mischief dressed as various forms of Krampus. This practice has many different layers to it. Many Krampus take to the streets swinging bundles of birch sticks draped with chains and bells with extremely detailed Krampus costumes, including very impressive masks, horns, and long-haired goat fur. These dressed up are normally accompanied by someone dressed as St. Nicholas. 
I am not referring to the Santa Claus that we are accustomed to here in the States. St. Nicholas is a completely different entity, although they do share many physical and behavioral features, and it is said that Santa is based on the image of St. Nicholas. The St. Nicholas character acts as a sort of leader of the group of Krampus. The Rempler is a sort of shoving match between different groups of Krampus and is considered a traditional game. Often not existent in small towns or larger towns where only one group of Krampus roam the streets on the eve of Nicholasdag, the Rempler is more common in large towns and cities, most notably in Gastein, Austria. The game begins only when those dressed as St. Nicholas from each group cross staves and give a speech. The Nicholases retreat to the side and share in conversation and schnapps. The gang of Krampus from both groups begin shoving each other in a battle for the right of turf that they battle on. The battles begin with the Krampus bowing to each other, and then ramming into each other. The battle is concluded when a Nicholas blows his whistle. The Krampus then remove their masks and shake their hands, wishing each other Algutsratkunen, or good luck and go forward. The Rempler is not meant to be violent or to get out of control. It is meant to be purely for entertainment for those watching. But of course, that is not always the case. It is a tradition for all the groups of Krampus, known as a pass, short for Krampus Pass, to gather for a parade or run of the Krampus. In many traditional places around Germany and Austria, the Krampuslauf will begin at around 3.30 p.m. and can sometimes run as late as 11 p.m. In Gastein, it is known that over a hundred passes join annually for the local Krampuslauf. The history of how the Krampuslauf began is one that comes from those unwilling to give up their pagan traditions. When the Catholic Church migrated into these pagan-dominated areas, they had to allow them to continue in their pagan traditions as a way to gain more followers for the church. The thought was that if they came in demanding everything that the locals ever knew to stop, that their mission wouldn't be very successful. So rather than do that, they were open to the beliefs living side by side and even combining in some cases, like that of Krampus. But after time went by and the Catholic Church held a stronger hold in the community and their politics, they deemed all pagan worship and traditions illegal. The police were told to arrest those that were found practicing anything pagan. But this didn't stop some of those who wished to continue their traditions. So people continued to dress as Krampus and meet in secret. And when the police showed up, they ran. They would run through the streets to agreed upon areas for safety with taverns or homes. This act of running from the law and the Catholic Church is what gave birth to the tradition of the Krampuslaft. In the Alpine area, especially in Gastein, a tradition known as the Hashrobash takes place where Krampus and the other characters of their past will travel door-to-door where the Krampus will perform cruel and pesky demonstrations for those children who are bad and other figures of the past will conduct their own businesses. The characters of each past are as follows. The Krampus. Usually, no less than four Krampus will exist per pass, Averagely around six, the head devil or the vortifu is appointed most commonly because of seniority. Their position as the head of the Krampus comes with the task of entering or leaving the building as the first Krampus in line and to make decisions on behalf of the Krampus Pass.
the basket carry, or Korbleschreger, or Korbler for short, only one basket carrier per pass, and their main job is to carry a basket full of treats for children during the home visits. His physical features are roughly the same for all passes featuring a man dressed as an older man with an overgrown beard, sometimes made of moss, a mask with exaggerated features, and he wears below-the-knee lederhosen, long socks and a huntsman's cap, and a sweater, all while a basket made from birch sticks or strips of birch wood is strapped to his back. In one hand he carries a lantern, and in the other he carries a beaded staff of wood. The basket that he carries sometimes will have a wooden plaque strapped to it labeling the name of the pass. Passes are usually named after the community or club that they belong to. The basket carrier is also known as the Wandermandel, or woodsman in some areas. The angel, commonly, there are only one or two angels, or anger, per pass and are almost always played by females. Their primary job is to carry small baskets with treats in them. Her treats come directly from the basket carriers prior to entering a house, and it is the angel that will hand out the treats to the children on behalf of the pass. Typically, the angel sports a long white gown, a small crown, and will wear a cloth matching that of St. Nicholas of the group over her gown. St. Nicholas, being the patron saint of children, he is known to go by many nicknames some of those translating to the holy man, the good man, or the friend of children. The role of St. Nicholas is normally cast to a tall man with a strong voice. The reason for the strong voice is because it is custom for the St. Nicholas of the group to direct the actions of the entire pass and read from his book that he holds, often the only character in the pass with a speaking role. This, St. Nicholas, shares very little physically with the Santa Claus that we are used to here in the Western world. St. Nicholas in, in the Alpine countries is depicted as wearing a traditional medieval bishop's outfit, including the hat, or a.k.a. the mitre, and staff, a.k.a. the crozier. He sports a very thick white beard and head of hair and a white gown similar to the one that the angel can be found wearing. Over his gown, he sports a robe of various colors, but usually only one with possibly an accent color as well. The main color is most commonly found to be red, and the accent color is most commonly gold, but they can be found in many different colors depending on where they are from. In one hand, he carries a quote-unquote golden book, and in the other, he carries a large staff. The book is there so that he may read his lists of good and bad behaviors conducted by the children of each house during their visit. The list is given to the St. Nicholas prior to his visit by the parents of the household. The St. Nicholas also carries a bag or purse that is used to collect donations from the house. From the houses the past visit so that they may redistribute the donations to those in need or local charities. House visits are aimed to be for children under the age of 12 and will typically go like this. The St. Nicholas will enter the house, first, with his angel and basket carrier only. The Krampus will wait outside, and in cases of bad weather, they will enter, but stay out of sight. They will enter into a room that has the family of the house separating them with a table or another piece of furniture. 
Then Nicholas will introduce himself with a short poem and begin by handing his staff to one of either his angel or basket carrier. He will then continue by opening his book and reading what is written about the behavior of the children in the room. After he calls out each child for the behavior throughout the year, the children will then perform a poem or song for the past, one that is usually practiced in school for two weeks prior. The angel will then give each child that deserves it a baggie called a Nicholas Sackerel, or Nicholas Sack, filled with cookies, fruit, chocolate, and nuts. The very last part of the visit is when the group of Krampus run into the house, swinging their sticks and making a ruckus inside the room that everyone is in, leaving a warning to not be bad, or that they will be back for them before Christmas. During this exchange, the table acts as a barrier between the family and the rampaging Krampus. Often, a Krampus will get in a tug-of-war match with the adults in the room, using the safety table as the rope which often scares the shit out of children and causes them to scream and cry, sometimes joining their parents and trying to keep the table in place and sometimes dropping to the fetal position and pissing all over themselves. The Nicholas will end the ruckus by blowing his whistle. But there will always be at least one Krampus that will not listen, and the basket carrier has to come to the Nicholas's aid and grab the Krampus and pull it outside. This, of course, is done for entertainment purposes only. Krampus passes are not only a group of people dressed up to play various roles during the day of and prior to St. Nicholas Day. These are clubs of friends and families that will plan throughout the entire year and build camaraderie by attending barbecues, vacations, and family picnics together. Often there are clubhouses dedicated to the cause that act as a place for the past to conjugate, plan, and store their costumes throughout the year. These clubhouses also double as museums for the club's history and display Krampus costumes of the past and present in very elaborate displays that they can charge people to see. The money from these museums go into the funds for the Nicholas Sacks for the next year. There are many rules for those who become a Krampus, and the punishment for breaking such rules stretch from ejection for the night to having the right to wear the Krampus taken completely and booted from the past. Some of these rules are no removing the mask unless it is part of a rare and specific event that allows this for the mindset of the children. No talking. The Krampus are not human, so they do not speak. And no inflicting injury on purpose. I know that was a lot, but those are all of the customs that I can find when it came to the traditions or celebrations, including Krampus. Sounds like I have a wild weekend ahead of me. <laughs> One thing I think is interesting, this is my opinion here, but I believe, and it might be a fact, that you know the, the church took a lot of pagan traditions and rituals and um, in trying to do away with them, they actually incorporated a lot of those rituals into Catholicism, right? And Yes. So... The the birch branch, the birch branch in Celtic mythology uh, symbolizes renewal and purification, right? So then I'm thinking to myself, if you were a little shit stain and Krampus came in with some birch sticks to beat the shit out of you with, like that's a purification ritual that was just, mm. you know, changed into this new thing. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that was mm. interesting. Mm. 
that is that's a good connection. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, the the birch uh, sticks it, they would make brooms out of them, right? And they would do uh, can't remember what it was called, but they would do like this ritual where they would essentially like be clearing the spirits from the old year out of the house or whatever, right? And then like that tradition is what the witch's broom became. There's like connections mm-hmm. between all of that. Yeah. That was a connection that I saw that I did not add to this. I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up because that is something that also tied Frau Perkta to the modern witch. Mm, yeah. Because Frau Perkta was, was the spirit of cleanliness. My ex-wife. And she was known. <laughs> <laughs> Mine also really likes cleanliness and I just can't keep her happy, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to get into that. She is a beautiful woman, and I love her so much. Good call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good save. Good save. I know she's going to hear it, so <laughs> put it out there. <laughs> love you. All right. I'm almost done here. You uh, guys got anything before I jump into the next part? I don't know. I found out, like, looking into Krampus and stuff, not really well known for their uh tolerance and their you know humanitarian efforts but the nazis uh they actually banned as well as the church they they banned all krampus celebrations and all pagan rituals and stuff while they were you know running through europe uh which i thought was very interesting there wasn't much context behind it or any like you know, huge examples of like, this is what they did to this person. This is what they did to that person. But the fact that they stopped or tried to stop all those pagan rituals from occurring while world war two is going on. And I'm like, yes, if anyone should say what's too far, it's the Nazis. Like really (laughs) like that's what they deemed unnecessary and inferior. And they're like, Oh, we can't have this. It's like, that it was it was very strange. I was yeah. like, uh yeah, I don't know. They uh not very well known for how great they were to people, you know, <laughs> pretty much the the scum of the earth for all time. And it's like, really? The pagan rituals and the Krampus uh the, the Krampus knocked and all that stuff, that was that was too much. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird. <laughs> all right. Ready to move in the next part? Yes. 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 All right. Let's talk about the Neo Krampus. The New Age parties are often thrown at concert halls, bars, pubs, and clubs, and share little to no similarities to the traditions of the Krampus. These modern parties include pyrotechnics, mosh pits, neon lights, drugs, and a lot of alcohol and sex. Heavy metal music is a favorite played at these events. One of the very big changes in these new traditions are the costumes themselves. Not only are they not traditional, they are very modern. Handmade wooden masks are no more and replaced by plastics created by molds. People are often found with similar or the exact same outfits bought from large manufacturers. Whereas the old costumes of bells, chains, furs, and horns were the old way of customizing your gear, the new age customizations include LEDs, fake blood, speakers built into the costumes themselves, fitted outfits, and movable facial features. So that's a new age 
Krampusnacht uh, Rager, I guess you can call it. Now, when you look up like a Krampus party or something like that, and you just Google that, this is the stuff you come up with. So, you know, it wasn't the stuff I was looking for, but because we're covering Krampus, include it, you know? Right. Have you guys, it's been out for quite some time, Jeremy, so I really hope that you've seen it. Plus, it's an 80s movie. Um, Have you seen Gremlins? Oh, a long time ago. I can't tell you anything about it. I love that movie. Yes. All right. Cool. Jeff's on my side. Um, Zach Galligan is going to be there. He played Billy in Gremlins. Nice. So basically, it's like a Comic-Con, but for Krampus. So I'm like looking through this website and they're going to have all these guest appearances for like all all these uh, these actors and, you know, authors and all kinds of stuff. So should be really fun. (laughs) Should be a blast. I'm going... As a Christian guy, I will not be involved in any paganism or pagan rituals, um, but I highly doubt any of that will occur, and it will be just, you know, people dressed up in costumes, whipping people and stuff, so that should be fun. It should be a cool experience, but yeah. I wonder if the Grinch came from Krampus. Maybe. Maybe. Well, the Grinch is from Dr. Seuss, right? Well, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe the idea of this hairy creature who's like the anti-Christmas dude, right? Scumbag of Christmas. I wonder if that's just like... (laughs) Scumbag of Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's jump into the alternatives to the Krampus. The Klausen are similar to the Krampus in ways regarding their attitude and practices but they differ in looks greatly. Where the Krampus masks are made of wood and are covered in chains and bells, the Klausen from the Bavarian Alps region of southwest Germany dress in long pelts from head to toe in a costume called a Haas. Masks are hairy hoods draped over their heads made of similar furs as their suits. They will also use bull horns instead of goat or ram horns of the Krampus. The Klausen partake in the Klausen Treiben an annual run or parade of Klausen on the night of December 5th. The most popular town for the Klausentreiben is the most southern German town of Sonthofen. In Sonthofen, it is common to witness as many as, as 200 Klausen participating in the Klausentreiben and the events before and afterwards. Near the Austrian border, there is an area that has a different lineup to its Krampus and St. Nicholas traditions. In this area, Krampuses are known as Gangrelin and sport less elaborate costumes than their Krampus brethren. But where their looks are different, their actions and traditions are fairly similar. One difference is the practice known as the Asrama, or clearing out, that goes with the standard tradition of the house visit played out by the more traditional past. The Asurama is a practice where the Gangrelin enter the house after a child has been deemed bad and remove as much furniture as they can and throw it into the front yard. Then they grab the child and throw them into the snow or leaf piles, depending on the weather. The traditional angel character is replaced by Nicholas's wife and conducts her role exactly the same as the angel from the traditional past. The basket man, on the other hand, is replaced completely with at least 12 other characters known as the Butenmann. The Butenmando 
are literally walking bundles of straw that wear masks varying in style. Imagine a person walking around wearing hay that is five feet tall and is only tied in the middle of the hay bundle around the man's waist. Now throw a mask on him. That's it. That's the Putin model. The costume itself takes roughly an hour to apply, and with 12 of them on average, the tradition of donning the Bhutan mantle begins in the very early morning hours. In East Tyrol, a western state in Austria, the Klaubhof plays the role of the Krampus. The Klaubhof wear costumes similar to the traditional Krampus, but without horns and switches used as weapons. The Klaubhof is more aggressive, and in the town of Matre, the celebration is completely cut off from outsiders, news reports, videos, and photos, without expressed written permission from the local officials. Beginning in the 1st of December, the Klaubhof and other parts of their past will partake in normal Krampus-like traditions, with only a few differences. One of these differences is that during the house visit, the Klaubhof will play a tug-of-war game with the family, using the dinner table as the rope, and when, not if, the Klaubhof win, they will throw it outside into their front lawn as a token of embarrassment for the family. The few families that are able to win this competition are said to see the victory as a good omen for the upcoming year. The celebrations end at midnight of St. Nicholas Day, with a tradition known as the Ausschlachten, or the ringing out. In Matri, in recent years, there have been as many as 300 Klabov participating in the Ausschlachten, which sees every Klabov storming into the town square, with their one large bell tied to their belt ringing with every step, and participating in an extremely large mosh pit of Klabov fighting onlookers or participating in a publicly watched game of kitchen table tug of war where it ends with gangs of Klaboff beating the shit out of each other and the losers ending only when their shirt was completely torn from their bodies. In 2013, a 15-year-old boy was injured so badly during the Ausschlachten that he fell into a coma. After this accident, they began adding a few rules to the Ausschlachten. No fighting women, children, the elderly, or any outsider who has been given consent to be there. Once every fight is over, the main aggressor has to help the other one up and give them a hug. And no purposely trying to seriously injure someone. On the night of the Ashlaten, the local hospital will have extra staff on hand from neighboring towns and cities, and on average will see up to a hundred beds taken up with many injuries going unreported that's it guys that is everything i got on the Krampus. that's gnarly dude yeah right it's like i i don't know it it would seem like that would be something that would already be established as don't try to seriously injure anybody but i guess not but i guess not yeah everyone's fair game including grandma with her walker take it from her beat her with it (laughs) uh tradition (laughs) I guess there's a reason why there's nobody allowed there without written consent from the officials. So I guess so. Yeah. But uh, I did. I did get to see some pictures. The author of this book actually was able to go to this event and post and put pictures in his book of it. And this one dude is just bloody beyond hell. Just getting his. He's like getting his face smashed into a table and his shirt is almost ripped off. 
And he looks like he's trying to rip it off himself. <laughs> Jesus. Once your shirt's gone, the beating stops and they're only going after your face. <laughs> like... Well, if the book has pictures in it, I'll read it. <laughs> oh, it has tons of pictures in it. Oh, yeah, I'll read it. It's, it's got sure. a lot of pictures in it. You should send us the link. It's a lot of, like I said, it's a lot of dry reading, but the pictures are great, man. Like, this is a really cool little book. Very, very cool little book. And again, for anybody that's listening, the book where I got most of this information from is called The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas Roots and Rebirth of the Folkloric Devil by Al Ridenauer. I got it on Amazon. I think I paid like 15 bucks for it or something, maybe 20. It's a very, very good book. If you guys are interested in the Krampus and diving a little bit more into some pagan lore that I wasn't, I didn't get into because obviously I would have just read you guys the entire book. And this book took me, geez, I read books pretty quick. And I think it took me two weeks. In fact, we were supposed to do this episode last week. And I told the guys, I was like, I'm not done. (laughs) I'm not done. I'm not ready. So we have a little bit less time to edit this episode because of me. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Good I'm job. Tell Krampus about this. Yeah, you're right. I think this is a good deep dive. This is awesome. You know, a lot more information than you can get from the first two pages of Google. That's why we go to page three and beyond. Stop you know? using Google. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Does anybody have anything to add that I did not go over? I mean, you didn't mention that. The uh, tradition of them stealing the kids is probably derived from the Moorish raids where they would raid villages and kidnap kids and take them back. The only thing I had that you didn't say. Ooh, what was, what is that? I don't even know what that is. You said Moorish? Yeah. Well, don't leave us in the dark. Bring it out. Besides well, just what said, you just said, if that was it, then that was it. That's pretty much it. <laughs> There's not oh, much right. more to it. They would kidnap and enslave people. And uh, that was just part of the... I mean, everybody did that, right? Like, that was all kinds of cultures back in the day. They would raid a village, kidnap your peoples, and take them home and turn them into slaves. But uh, from I was reading about Krampus, and they said that they... Whoever wrote... I forget who... I don't know. I didn't get the name of the guy, but whoever wrote that article about it was saying that uh, it was most likely derived from those events. Moorish, huh? I'll have to look that up. So, with that being said, it is a common misconception that the Krampus is a creature of terror. It is true, they are very mischievous and may get themselves into a little bit of trouble from time to time, but the tradition of the modern Krampus was not created to create fear. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) It is used to create respect. Respect from children to their parents and elders, and at the same time for those who dress up as what is modernly known as the Christmas devil. Fun. A great way to create community and cohesiveness while using a tradition that has been passed down throughout many generations and is being introduced to new generations every year. A tradition to help rid the previous year's negatives and ring in the new year's positives. So behave, all you out there, and enjoy your friends and family this holiday season. And remember to be good, or the Krampus will get you. And we'll see you next year in the Infinite Rabbit Hole. See ya. Bye. There it is.
Thank you.